Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and with us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. Yay! Also with us, Jed Brewer. Yay. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I don't know if I believe Glenn's yay. That <laughs> was a, a deeply sarcastic yay. <laughs> it wasn't the most convincing line reading, and we're going to get into that because we have some awesome questions. We have some great stuff we're going to talk about. But first, I am forced to declare a very real cinematic emergency. Oh, wow. Ooh. So, you know, there's, there's a lot going around. There, I mean, we've, we've all been living through the era of the Snyder Cut. And, you know, the, the, that kind of the era, the, the auteur, the person who really gets their vision out there. And their vision is four hours long and in a weird uh, format no one asks for. But that's fine because it's their vision. And, gentlemen, I want to bring to you and bring to our audience another story of vision. This is a a man who, uh, despite being the currently, as far as anyone can guess, the wealthiest megachurch pastor in the world. Yep. That would be brother, a gentleman named Kenneth Copeland, who if you're young, you may not have heard of. You've probably seen some clips of him on YouTube uh, or on Twitter uh, looking like the Crypt Keeper wearing an overpriced suit, uh, yelling about (laughs) how he needs those planes. (laughs) Because he uh, he has many private planes, he actually started off for those who for those of you who are paying attention to the the NCAA basketball tournament last month. You probably heard about a, col- a college called Oral Roberts University, a very small Christian college in Alabama, I believe. He was a student there and got his uh, start as the chauffeur and personal pilot to the aforementioned Oral Roberts. And since then, you know, he's been going around and talking about sowing a seed of faith and. Uh, doing some some uh, being accused of some low level embezzling here and there, you know, standard uh, televangelist stuff. But this week, I discovered another one of his projects. Ooh! And one thing we love on this show, obviously, is making fun of uh, megachurch pastors and the type. Another thing we we've dug into several times is the the depths of Christian cinema. And you know, we live in a you know, fireproof. Depth kind of, is a good word, Matt. It's yeah. down there. We have, you know, your fireproofs and your, your God's not dead. And a lot of things that kind of, maybe I would describe them as being of the pure flicks era. They're, they're kind of cheaply made, but you know, they're, they're a whole thing. I come up, I come with something from a bygone era. This is Kenneth Copeland starring in a movie made in 1992 called The Gunslinger. Uh, oh, oh. I'm going to read the plot synopsis from the from the Internet Movie Database here. A reformed gunslinger loses his memory while attempting to stop a bank robbery by the McClure gang. After the McClure gang knocks Wichita Slim, parentheses Kenneth Copeland, unconscious during the robbery, causing him to lose his memory. They use him as a hostage to escape and manipulate him into resuming his former life of crime. The gunslinger. Mm. This is a guy who, you know, had a had a ministry, a lot of money. Thought, what am I gonna do with this? I wanna be a cowboy. Much like Kid Rock, he wanted to be a cowboy. Yeah. The, you know, maybe we should start with an important piece of wisdom. Just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing. <laughs> and how. You know. Also, uh, some of us remember uh, recently uh, a a moment with this same brother where he said he was going to destroy COVID-19 with, quote, the wind of God saying, I will blow the wind of God on you 
you are destroyed forever and you'll never be back. That was in March 2020. Um, Some great remixes of that, though, to be fair. Yeah. COVID-19! I'm just saying, you know, maybe we should acknowledge it. He's been doing a lot of acting and and delivering some pretty far out there lines all along. Yeah. And then there's just it. There is it as a piece of cinema. The whole thing is available on YouTube. um, Not shockingly, though, weirdly enough, because it was uploaded in 2018, it still has the uh, some of us are old enough to remember the old YouTube formats when you couldn't upload clips over a certain length. So you'd have to like, so I'd upload a TV show to be in eight parts. So all right. 115 minutes of this are on YouTube posted by Kenneth Copeland Ministries, Canada. So uh, you have something to answer for there, Canada. But uh, <laughs> so it's set in, in uh, 1878. Who's to know why Kenneth Copeland himself and maybe he thinks his audience would be more comfortable with things set in 1878. But if you look at the first clip, about three minutes in, you think, well, maybe this isn't a vanity project. You know, he wants to share a simple story of a gunslinger and what his works. About four minutes in, you get to the theme song to the gunslinger, which is performed Mm. by one Kenneth Copeland. Uh Aha! And it plays. I've got it it queued up here. Maybe we'll drop some audio in it, but I'm looking at YouTube now. It is a full three minutes long. When a man knows his destiny and God has a plan for his life no one can change what's supposed to be no matter how hard they try wow (laughs) you get a nice Kenneth Copeland music video of just him riding a horse while he sings about how great he is. <laughs> Impressive. Well, I'm reminded of the Walker, Texas Ranger theme, which I believe that Chuck Norris actually sang. And maybe, you know, Kenneth is just like, I, you know, when I hear Chuck singing his own song, I see myself in that space. Well, there's something you said for that. Are our opening credits usually three minutes long? That seems like a long time to have. <laughs> Credit. I mean, how many people were involved in this uh, sweeping epic? I think a title sequence is normally about thirty seconds long. (laughs) So there's that. There's a there's there's a a part in the middle where a woman just walks around muttering about how much she is praying for Wichita Slim and repeating the word phrase Wichita Slim over and over again without cracking up, making her by far the best actor in this movie. Mm. But then I'd like us all to to think about how this might end. So you've got a, uh, a, a movie with a sub soap opera. I would describe it both visuals and acting. Okay. And you got, it's about Kenneth Copeland. He's a gunslinger. He's Wichita Slim. We get to the end. He's exonerated from the trial or whatever, but that's not the end of the movie. How do we think the Wichita Slim movie might end? Mm, okay. I, I'm picturing that it's like there's a mining explosion and he goes down to save somebody and there's a massive uh, uh, collapse and he's he's smushed beyond all oblivion and then roll credits. 
So kind of like the, the 127 hours ending. That's an option. I like it. Yeah. I'm saying they try and open the Ark of the Covenant and everybody's faces melt. Awesome. Oh, I like that. That's how Jed wants every movie to end. <laughs> That's true. That's totally true. Jed's remake of Pride and Prejudice is controversial. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying like a Reservoir Dog style, uh, you know, four people pointing their, you know, six shooters at each other. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you how it does end. First, I'd like to make my picture how it should have ended, which it should have gone the Blazing Saddles route and crashed into a uh, a sound stage, putting on a very garish musical, and then just kind of gone off that way. I would have enjoyed that a lot. How it actually ends is with uh, Brother Kenneth breaking uh, breaking the fourth wall, introducing some of the actors to the audience, because that's uh. how intelligent he thinks his audience is, and then doing an altar call. Oh, gosh. I hope you enjoyed The Gunslinger. I'm Kenneth Copeland, and I have some people here that I want you to meet. You remember old Dawson McClure, the bad outlaw, head of the outlaw gang? Well, he really didn't get killed, and his name's not Dawson McClure. It's really Joey Smith, and he's in the ministry with Willie George Ministries and loves the Lord with all of his heart. Thank you, Joey. I want to tell you something. If you live your life like Lightning Johnny Silver's in the movie, then you're liable to wind up in a street somewhere on your back just like he did and without anybody there to lead you to the Lord Jesus before you die. So I want to give you the opportunity right now to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and bring Him into your life. I'm going to pray the same prayer that Wichita Slim prayed with Johnny. Because he thinks there are people who aren't Christian, who this comes set about an hour and 13 minutes into Kenneth Copeland as Wichita Slim. He thinks there yeah. might be some people who sat through that and are ready to accept the Lord. <laughs> well, well, they, they probably are rethinking a lot of life decisions at that point. <laughs> but, uh, fellas, I think what we're dealing with here is a houseboat situation. Uh, and as you know, the thing about a houseboat is it's not a good house and it's not a good boat. And uh, this is what you call not a good movie and not a good bit of ministry either. I do wonder if uh, what I thought about houseboat, uh, when you said houseboat situation, have not heard that before. I thought maybe you meant that in more of a Florida sense. And my assumption <laughs> is that the altar call, putting the altar call in this allowed them to write it all off. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I've just made a discovery as we wind this down, and that there is a sequel to The Gunslinger. What? Wow. Uh, put out in 1994. Oh, gosh. I'm going to read you the, uh, the synopsis here, but what I'd like you gentlemen to put the gift forward is, what's the title? So the, the uh, summary, according to IMDb, is, In this unforgettable, heartwarming, heart-pounding adventure, U.S. Marshals Bill Gunter, he, and Wichita Slim hit the trail to track down the outlaws who have kidnapped Bill Gunter's six-year-old nephew, Ty. Indians, outlaws, ambushes, and the plan of the enemy can't stop the covenant these men have made with God, each other, and young Ty's mom. Even the wicked oh. Saul Gillespie, played by Jesse Duplantis, by the way, mm. that's a true thing, mm. plots to get the marshals before they get him. So, gu the gunslinger too. Still Wichita Slimming. What do we think? Oh, uh, Sling into Electric Boogaloo. That's good. Classic format. That's good. 
that. Two gun, two slinger, something in that, in that Fast and Furious mold, maybe. Yeah, that's yeah. very good too. That's very good. The resurrection of Wichita Slim. Nice. Uh, the the actual answer and much dumber than anything we pitched. Covenant Rider. Oh, <laughs> oh man, man. Here, here's, okay, okay. This is this is just a it's just a rant. And for Please. all the listeners of the <laughs> Say That podcast out there, this is just something that happens in the friendship of these four podcast hosts. How has our religion continued when all of the people who say they're part of it are so dumb? <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I think it is a good question because, like, what's what's very odd to me is if you told me that there was a rabbi that made a Western about himself, I would actually want to see that. <laughs> it was called Blazing Saddles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, for some reason, I, I just, I don't have any, I mean, like, let's say you told your church, here's what I want to do. I want to to have a nice uh you know Sunday evening service and then I I'd love to to serve a big barbecue and, and uh you know homemade ice cream and we all while we all sit and eat it we watch the movie Tombstone. You you'd have all the same elements of what this dude's trying to do but each part would be about a thousand times better. Yeah, and much less expensive, Glenn. Uh, yeah, you're right about that. I've had many conversations with Jed about about filmmaking, and one thing that Jed has told me is that when a movie actually gets made, it's basically a miracle. Yeah, that a movie gets made. So when when movies this profoundly bad get made, I I just have a kind of a deep guttural. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we we do have to wrap this up and move on from this emergency. Before I declare, before I declare emergency off, and let you know that there's a third one of these. Oh boy! Released in 1995. <laughs> wow. Let's stop. The Treasure of Eagle Mountain. Of course. Which currently has a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. What? So uh, if you ever let IMDb uh, inform your film choices, let this be a thing that makes you question that. Wow, yeah, and that's man. a lot of psychic damage. And uh, I'm going to include in the show notes and the, the episode description there uh, the link to at least the first uh, clip of the gunslinger. So if anyone wants to venture down a truly, truly insane YouTube rabbit hole, <laughs> we welcome you to do that. But for the time being, we're going to declare emergency off. Please don't uh-huh. contribute any money to a guy that already has 300 million. Yeah, don't Amen. do that. You know, we we put out a little film of our own every every week, and up till now, it's not been a Western, but we've been doing this for quite a while, and I'm certainly starting to lose my uh, very tenuous grap- grasp on reality, so maybe it'll get there at some point. But the, for now, it's just a bridge live. It's just uh, some, some fun worship, some preaching, all sorts of good stuff going on there. You can check that out every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. And if you cannot catch it live, you can catch it at the videos tab on that very same safe book, very same Facebook page, wherever you are in the world. We do hope you'll check it out and join us. We are having a lot of fun in the comments, encouraging each other, getting into some fun topics over there. Facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. 
We're going to jump to our first question here. If you can this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this. Or you can scroll down into your episode description and find the links there. First question comes in and says, It's really easy to judge myself for the mistakes I've made in my past. I also know that through Jesus Christ, God forgives and doesn't condemn me for my past. How do I stop the pain? It feels natural for me to judge, and I know a lot of people feel the same way. What are some steps I can take to see God's perspective? And a very good question and very similar to something we've looked at on the bridge recently. So lots of good stuff to get into. And Glenn, where would we start off? Well, certainly what you're describing here is is a, a, a common uh, struggle for a lot of us. You know, for any of us, we can have that moment where we have that memory from our past that comes back and we just feel sort of a stab of pain about that. And, uh, you know, it's an, it's an unpleasant memory and it's an unpleasant thing to think about. But what I want to to challenge you on is, are you sure that you reached a level of acceptance on it if that pain is pretty strong and, and, and strong enough for you to feel sort of an avoidance of that, you know, whether that's denying it, just trying to sweep it under the rug, trying to, uh, you know, maybe beat yourself up about it. You know, sometimes uh, we feel like we're putting on sort of a, a, a punishment on ourselves as a way of um, pay, trying to pay for our own sins. Now, there's a theological problem with that because somebody else paid for it, uh, and uh, he'd like you to climb down from the cross and just go ahead and accept his payment. Uh, but I think the the idea of acceptance and pain, uh, that you're, the kind of pain that you're dealing with, don't go together. Uh, that there's a level of acceptance. There's a, there's a level of of surrendering to the truth about who you are and who you have been, and uh, all of that, where you say, "This is, you know, A led to B, which led to C, which led to me doing this. This was a, a sequence of events. It was just wasn't a random thing. It wasn't uh, just a case of me being evil for the sake of being evil. Uh, this is a, a me being in a state of struggle, this is me acting what much worse than I thought I was capable of acting. Uh, the right way to look at that is to accept that you aren't as, <laughs> bless your heart, you're not as, as sharp and holy and amazing as you think you are. Uh, to To grab some acceptance of that and say, I'm actually a human being who makes mistakes. If you can do that, then you can accept that God would forgive you. If you're in denial about it, you can't accept the forgiveness because you're trying to sweep it under the rug. If you are just so hurt by how disappointed you are in yourself and you're trying to sort of um, fix up how you do as a way to sort of counteract what you did wrong, uh, then what you're really doing is you're condemning yourself now, and uh, you're condemning condemning yourself for what you what what it is that you've done. Uh, but then you're you're working to better yourself so you can be accepted. That theologically that doesn't line up at all. That's zero zero percent Christianity in that thinking. Uh, you are meant to love yourself now. You are one hundred percent accepted yeah. by God right now. Uh, if you disagree with that, you are wrong theologically you, you you know it 
you come by the the emotion honestly, and I, you know, I felt the same way. So I, certainly, no one's judging you for feeling that way. Uh, but the reality is, you are not more accepted by God, and you are not loved more by God when you do better. It just does not work that way. And and we love you now, who for who you are, as you are. We don't love you more when you do better. So, I think part of what I want us to look at here is: Are you sort of holding your breath until you are doing better, and then? You could say, okay, now I can, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I'm back to thinking I'm a good person. Uh, let that, take, take the image of the good person you're trying to be and kill it. Uh, that, let's just let that die right now. We, we, we utterly have failed to be that amazing. And the truth is, trying to be that amazing person is causing you to not receive the, the stuff from the Lord that would allow you to be amazing in an authentic way, but it's also keeping you from being God's idea of what's amazing for you. And that's what we want for you. That's a great place to start this off. And Lee, what would you have to add? That was killer stuff right there, man. I, I, I would, I would add an, a, an anecdote from my, from my life. Um, uh, one of my daughters one time uh, came to me after you know, we had a difficult discussion and she said a hurtful thing. And then she came back to me later and said, you know, I, I, I feel terrible about the thing that I said and, and I'm sorry. And, and I hope that you can forgive me. And I said, absolutely. And then, you know, and, and she, she was kind of like, well, I, I thought there was going to be some struggle in there and that you were going to be, you know, really surprised that I said something awful. And, um, she was kind of mystified by the, the, the ease of the forgiveness. And, and I remember saying something to the effect of like, well, I mean, I did, I didn't assume that you were some like superhero or something like that. Like, yeah, I, I love you for the person that you are. Sometimes we're going to hurt each other's feelings. I get that. I, I, I'm done with it. I'm, I'm over it. I'd love to move on. And she wanted to keep going back to it of like, but you know, but I don't want to be the person who says awful things. And I was like, there it is. There's the thing right there. Yeah. And it's exactly yeah. kind of what Glenn was saying was there, there is an element to this question, which is a, um, come on in the water's fine, which right. means, um, Hey, uh, Jesus doesn't, Jesus is not under the impression that you are, um, amazing on your own steam. That's not the the agreement here. That's not the religion that we practice. That's not the relationship that we have with the living God. Um, that's not what he's asking of you, is that you would be amazing and follow all the rules and be really, really impressive as, as an individual. Um, he, the relationship that we have is um, we have been screw-ups, and he has paid for all of the penalty of that and all the problems of that, all the guilt and all the shame of that. And he wants to set us free and bring us into a new kind of life. And the, the agreement, the, the way we enter into that is that we accept that I'm, I'm not some amazing person that I thought I was. And as soon as you can do that, as soon as you can say, okay, come on in, the water's fine. We're all sinners. Jesus has paid for everything. I'm not under the oppression that I'm some amazing person. And, you know, in that conversation with my kid, it was like, dude, hey, sometimes I'm going to be a jerk to you, and sometimes you're going to be a jerk to me. It is my joy to uh, 
to, to treat you with grace and forgiveness. And part of that is I know that I'm going to have to come to you sometimes and ask for some grace and forgiveness too, because sometimes I'm going to be a jerk. So here's a thought experiment for you, and I just want you to try this out. I want you to think about someone you really love that you have honestly forgiven. Like you, you've totally let the thing go. You want a relationship with them going forward. This is not like some terrible thing where you need to set up a boundary or you can't have a relationship. Somebody did something uncool. You completely forgave it. If every time you hung out, they just came back to you and said, you know, I'm just really sorry about that one thing from three years ago, man. You'd be like, dude, can we talk about anything else besides that thing? I, I have uh, like, I'm so over that. And I think that for a lot of people who know Jesus, if they could hear him saying anything to them in their life, it would be, can we please talk about anything besides your sin? I really want to be friends. I'd love to talk about that guy that you're into. I'd love to talk about how work's going. I would love to talk about how you're worried about how your car is not going to make it through the winter. I'd love to talk about how you feel about the current style of jeans and how it doesn't go with your aesthetic. I literally, I think the voice of Jesus would say to you, I would love to talk to you about anything besides how bad you feel about your sins. I paid for them all, and I would love to hang out and be friends. Um, I know for me, people that I've forgiven, if they keep coming back to me with just down in the mouth and just so upset, I just, the thing that I, I wish I could just kind of put my emotions inside their own brain and heart and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm over it, and I would love for us to move on. Um, and I know that's not a light switch that you can flip in your head, so I want you to try the thought experiment. I want you to try the thought experiment of someone who was a jerk to you that you honestly forgave, and if every time you hung out, they wanted to keep telling you how bad they felt and how you would feel about that. And that's Jesus's heart towards you is, I would love, I mean, I've paid for everything. Jesus is saying to you, I would love for us to talk about what you're actually going through. I'd love for us to talk about your lunch and what you liked about it and what you did. Literally, literally any, that book you're reading, that song that you're into right now, anything else. I would love to be included in your day, but I would love to move past the guilt and the shame because I've paid for all of it. Another great layer to add on to that. And Jed, where would we close this out? Man, you've heard really great stuff. I want to pick up right where Lee left off and, and on two of the points he's making. So the first is I love that idea of come on in the water's fine. All we've got down here on planet Earth are sinners. One of the things, if you can um, take that, that leap of acceptance, which all of us want to encourage you to do, one of the things it's going to do is I think going to give you a little bit of a new perspective on uh, a couple of things, one in particular. So uh, personality, uh, I'm sorry, personal responsibility always applies. You know, you, you make the decisions you make, you're responsible for the consequences. That said, it is also true that we are all products of our environment, um, every single one of us. And if you know that you are a sinner, which you definitely are, as am I, and you know that you uh, are also a product of your environment, which you are, as am I. What that means is if I allow myself to be in certain circumstances, I will do things I will really regret. And I think a lot of the problems that we get into in our lives, um, including things that we want to feel a lot of guilt about, can be uh, kind of traced back to 
there were warning signs that I ignored because I thought I could handle it. Um, and when you know that you're a sinner, you don't think you can handle it, man. Um, you recognize if you, if I get to a certain level of hungry, angry, lonely, tired, tempted, I'm going to do something real, real inadvisable. Um, one of the things I know about myself in my own life is I have a temper. And if I get a certain level of angry, I will definitely say and do things that I will regret. And so what this means for me is on certain occasions in my life, I get up in the middle of conversations and leave. Um, we, we've actually joked about it on the podcast before because some of it's kind of funny, but um, I would rather come off as slightly rude than say things I can never take back. Um, and I think when you know that you are a sinner, when you know that you are capable of doing stuff that you'll really regret, I think you start to try and develop a sense for situations that are more than you can handle, that are going to put you in a position that you really don't like the outcome of. So what's interesting is that acceptance and humility can give us a lot of insight. They can, they can teach us a lot, but the weird, almost funny flip side is that all of that self-judgment can't teach you anything. I think one of the interesting things about the obsessing over sins and mistakes in the past that, that all of us are tempted to do is I think we want to believe if I just look at it long enough, I'm going to see some amazing insight where everything makes sense. I'm going to see something and it's going to be like, it's going to change my life. The depth of the wisdom I'm going to find. There's no wisdom in your self-judgment. There's, there's no right. insights waiting in there for you, man. There, I, there, there's not, um, I I've plumbed those depths pretty darn hard. I know plenty of people who've, who've really gone in there with a flashlight and tried to figure out what all was in there. There's nothing there, man. There, there's no positive, anything to, to be found again. Humility has a lot of lessons to teach you and it's good stuff and you will benefit off of it. Self-judgment just does not. There just, there isn't anything else in there for you to see or learn. And that leads to the last thing, which picks right up with Lee's thought experiment, which I absolutely love. I want to build on that. If you woke up tomorrow and you had a great prayer time with the Lord where you talked about things other than how mad you are at yourself, and then for 24 hours, the Lord zapped your brain where you could not judge yourself. You just, it's like trying to go a website and it's 404 not found. It's just, you couldn't do it. What would you do with all your free time? What would you think yeah. about? Where would you go? What would you do? What book would you purchase? What, you know, what in all the, the world, what would you do? What would you eat for lunch, man? I think it is really, really worth thinking about. If you had a day where your brain had been God zapped and you could not feel bad about yourself, what would you do? How would you fill your day? And once you have a sense of what those things might be, you should go do those things. Because, and this is my, my, my final thought for you, there is not a moment coming where your emotions will just agree, I guess all that self-loathing was silly. I guess we should move on. Your emotions are not going to do that. You've got to take a step first and let your emotions catch up with you on that. Um, the, the, the moment where just everything in your brain says, you know what? You've fully done your penance and you've answered all the questions. You're released now. That's, that's not really common. It peels off by layers. Having a sense of how you would want to move forward and then choosing to live into it is going to be a much healthier way to go. All great stuff from all these guys. We'll move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, every morning I wake up and have negative thoughts right away. 
Sometimes I might want to do something destructive. Sometimes I might just gravitate towards negative news stories. Sometimes I just wake up mad at everything. It takes me a while to get out of this, and it isn't something I feel like I can avoid. How does God want me to deal with these negative first thoughts? Another great question. And Lee, where do we kick off? This is a really cool question. It has a lot of nuance in it because I think, and, and, and it's, a, it's a weird thing because some of the subtleties in this question are, are new. They're unique to the time that we live in. You know, uh, I think that, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have the same kind of availability of you wake up and immediately have a, a populated news feed um, in front of your face immediately. Your alarm goes off and the same device that provides your alarm to wake you up also throws news into your face. This is a new question. It's a new problem. And, I, and I'm, I'm so glad that you asked it. But let's talk about a, a kind of a, a broader view of this and, 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 and kind of steer away from a couple of those technological specifics for a second. I, I want to talk about negative thoughts and the ways to deal with them. There was a Definitely a time in my life where I thought that the way to deal with negative thoughts is just to ignore them, just to try to push them out, just to try to uh, tamp them down. Um, I, I, I am not having negative thoughts. I'm just going to ignore those. And what I would say is that, uh, you know, I, I can't really deal with anybody else's experience with something like that. For me, that was not a practical solution. I was not able to get any forward momentum on just, you know, ignoring negative thoughts or pretending I wasn't having them or just, you know, painting sunshine over, uh, over the situations that I was in or anything like that. The thing that has been much more helpful to me is to just immediately, when I have negative thoughts, to include Jesus in those and to talk to him about those things directly immediately go to him. If I feel angry or if I feel upset or if I feel sad or if I feel afraid or if I feel overwhelmed, to immediately engage him in that process in, in prayer. Um, and, 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 and I want to take a second to say that for some people, like that feels like a weird thing, especially for people that are new to Christianity, they might think like, well, prayer is a thing that happens in a formal setting, in a formal posture with formal words. It's really not. Um, if I'm literally walking through a grocery store with the cart and I'm putting things in the grocery cart and I have an anxious thought, I can immediately go into a state of prayer and talk to the Lord about those thoughts. Last week, um, and this is, I'm going to do a shout out here um, because it was so cool. I was having a really, really hard day. Um, and I was really, really wrestling with some personal stuff and some relationships that were just going sideways and um, some difficult conversations that I was having to be a part of. And, um, and, and this is not like a, <laughs> this, this is just a true thing. I, I love the 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 shows that these guys put out um, that are also on this podcast. One of them is they do um, not not completely weekly at this point, right? With the Bridge Radio out uh, the Bridge Radio show, but very often, uh, like maybe two or three times a month. Is that about right, Jed? So, something like that. Yeah, and so uh, there's a 30 minute podcast that these guys do for folks who are behind bars. And um it and it's on like the you know the, their website under radio. The bridgechicago.com slash radio. <laughs> I was listening to the I was listening to this this 
this show literally in the grocery store, walking through the produce section, dealing with a lot of personal anxiety over some stuff that was happening. Jed was talking, was, was going through some teaching about legalism, not the struggle I was having at that time, but I, I was loving what he was throwing down. But in one of the song breaks in the show, um, he played a song that where um, he and Pete Lawson um, just did a fantastic job with the song. But the, the refrain of the song or the hook of the song was Jed saying, I must tell Jesus because I cannot bear these burdens alone. And believe me when I tell you, I was really digging the song, but I, I hit pause on that and realized that the thing that I most needed in the actual anxiety that I was feeling and the negative thoughts that I was going through was to do exactly that thing. I can't handle the thoughts that I'm feeling right now myself. I just have to go talk to him about them. And the great thing about that space is I'm literally pushing a cart through the Kroger and, and like spilling my guts to Jesus about all of the things that I feel. And the great thing about Jesus is he has boundless patience. He knows me. Psalm 103 says he remembers that we are dust. First uh, Timothy chapter one says he has endless patience. When I know those two things, then I know that I can tell Jesus exactly what I'm feeling. If the language gets salty, if I get impatient, if I have to go off on somebody, if I have to keep it, if it's if it's extremely unchurchy, if it's extremely raw, if it's ex- if I'm if I'm full of fears. The great thing was by the time I got to the checkout, I felt better. I felt better because I unloaded the whole thing on him. I didn't immediately have the answer. I didn't immediately have the, this is how we're going to go forward on that. But like the, the refrain of that song was the reminder that I needed of, I can tell him everything in moments where I can't actually handle it all myself. That has been, that is always a huge help to me in moments where I feel overwhelmed by negative thoughts. The other thing I would say, and it's something that I've had to learn intentionally during the pandemic is that, um, I have started to, um, start my day. Well, first thing in the day is the brushing of the teeth and then the making of the coffee. Uh, The coffee is a necessary thing for, for me personally. And when I get the coffee, the next thing that happens for me is I intentionally go back to yesterday and I try to identify some things that I can be thankful for, just some pearls of gratitude, just some moments in the day that were good moments. This is not painting a brush over my life of, of only, you know, I'm just going to uh, the silver lining kind of thing. No, I'm, I'm just looking for moments to thank the Lord about. And the practice of intentional gratitude is something that for me has been, uh, has been something that's helped me walk through um, moments where I feel down, moments where I feel anxious, moments where I feel afraid. That yes, in the, in the middle of days where I've got all kinds of feelings, some up, some down, I do have moments that I can thank the Lord for. And I'm starting to make you know, a list through the week so that I could go back on like Saturday and I can look back through the whole week and say, I have some stuff to thank Jesus about. And that's really, really cool. So um, I would start there. I would start with engaging your relationship with Jesus in a very raw way where you, where you throw down exactly what you're feeling and tell him everything when you can't bear it by yourself. And then look for the intentional moments of gratitude where you Tell him stuff you're thankful for. For me, these have been super, super helpful, um, practical ways to handle what you're dealing with. 
a wonderful, wonderful place to start that off. And Jed, where would we take things next? I love everything Lee said, and we're super grateful for the very, very kind shout out to uh, the Bridge Prison Radio Show. Uh, again, that's thebridgechicago.com slash radio. We'd love to have you hang out with us. So uh, let's look at, Lee gave you some great practical stuff. I, I want to give you a couple more kind of practical diagnostic questions to look at. And I'm sorry that you're dealing with what you're dealing with. It's it's no fun to feel like you're just plagued with negative thoughts, and we are proud of you for facing this head on. Here's my first question for you is, are you giving yourself better things to think about? It's easier to think about mountain biking if you go mountain biking. Um, it would be kind of a random thing to think about if you never do it. It's easier to think about cooking and the next recipe you want to try if you cook. Um, it's, it's a little unlikely if nothing else, if you don't cook. So, um, we actually kind of have to create narratives for ourselves to think about. Uh, I think one of the interesting things about you wake up and you look at the, the news is there, the world at large is creating narratives for you to think about all the time. Um, most of them are not very happy things. If you want better narratives, in your life and and thus better things to think about, you will probably need to create them for yourself. If you're anything like me, the idea of, I feel bad about my life and I feel bad about the world and I feel plagued with negative thoughts. You know what I need to do is go have a nice hobby. That just doesn't feel like it's the thing. And for what it's worth, it may not be the whole thing, but I think it's probably something that would help. I think giving yourself some fun, cool stuff that you like, that you look forward to, that again has a, a bit of an arc and a story to it, I think it would help more than you you might imagine. Again, it may not uh, overnight transform everything about your thought life, but I think it would have a bigger impact than you might imagine. But now here's the second kind of practical diagnostic question that goes right along with it, which is, are you exiting the crappy stuff that you don't need to be a part of? Everybody in their life has a certain amount of stuff that is really unpleasant that they can't get out of. I mean, there are, there are no perfect jobs. There are parts of every job that you'd rather not do. And even healthy relationships require work, and sometimes they're not super fun. And so I'm not talking about that stuff. But a lot of us have a certain number of things in our lives that are actually pretty darn optional, that are almost pure negativity that we wind up doing anyway. Um, that might be some of our, our family relationships. That might be um, some of our media choices. Um, that might be uh, uh, people that we feel like we have an obligation to stay in touch with. And what I would encourage you, there, there, there's an old phrase um, that, that talks about the idea that um, if something's got to give, you do way better to choose the thing that's going to give than to let it choose for you. Um, If you're feeling just overwhelmed with negativity in your life and it's just like something's got to give, I would encourage you to start finding negative things that you can just get rid of. Um, That could be relationships. That could be uh, news channels that you watch. uh, That could be um, uh, family dynamics that just are not a good fit. But you you have more freedom and more agency in your life than you think you do. That's, that's true for most people. And it's probably true for you. There are probably negative things in your life that you could actually just, just get rid of. And I want to encourage you to really 
take some boldness and some courage and take those steps and get into a place where the optional negativity is being lowered. Again, if we are increasing stuff that is fun and good and positive and life-affirming, and we are finding the negative sling load that we can get rid of, that may not change everything, but it will do a lot. And those are both things that you can start doing right now today. Another excellent, excellent answer here. And Glenn, where would we close this out? Well, I think to me, uh, I, in a funny way, I think this runs uh, sort of parallel with the first question, because it, my question to you on this would be, you wake up in the morning, you're having negative thoughts right away, uh, gravitate towards negative news stories, mad at the world. Uh, all of this looks extremely familiar to me. I, I'm not sure if you've been reading my mail or, or bugging my house, but you know, it's, uh, there's some familiarity here. Um, it takes me a while to get out of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, it sounds like if you add all that up, are what I'd like to ask you is, are you, are you seeing yourself in a negative light because you're struggling with these negative thoughts? That is to say, do you feel there's something wrong with you that you are having them? Uh, and and it's it sort of, I think the question seems to be sort of implying inherently that there is something wrong with you, that you would have those thoughts, that that's bad. You know, it's bit. You know, it, it would be I, it would be better, uh, and I would certainly think of myself in in better ways if I woke up and I just thought of the Holy Spirit. You know, <laughs> I just thought of holiness right away. Like for I opened my eyes, I was like, you know, what about sanctification? And let's let me find a news story on sanctification. You know, this is not a world that most people live in. Uh, if I told you about the first thoughts I have in my mind right away, uh, we would need to put a parental advisory on this, uh, this, this podcast because it, it, you know, uh, so I think it's important for us to look at, are you in a state where you're sort of beating up on yourself, uh, so to speak for having these thoughts in the first place, wouldn't you be better off? Uh, taking a look at this and seeing how this works and recognizing that, okay, I am starting down the wrong road and I'm sort of continuing a bit down the wrong road. And that brings in the stuff that uh, Jed was talking there uh, uh, about how we manage those things. But that at some point you're able to turn that around. At some point you're able to get into a more positive frame of mind. So that to me sounds like you're handling this. That to me Mm. sounds like you're overcoming this. It sounds like you're starting on the wrong road and eventually getting on the right road. Uh, I think it's important for you to recognize having struggles is not a sign that there's something wrong with you. Uh, the The enemy's going to put temptation on you, even if there's uh, nothing else uh, going on anywhere else. Uh, I think the key thing for you to look at is, is your strength getting bigger and bigger as you go? Mm-hmm. Is that, is that a feature of what's happening here? And, uh, as a result, your struggles are getting smaller as you go. There's a strength again going up, and then you're able to deal with this negativity uh, in a way where you're able to overcome it easier. Are both of those things, and of course, those will go together uh, naturally, obviously. 
if you're getting stronger on that and if you're getting better and you know employing all the stuff that Lee and Jed were talking about there, you're going to be able to look at that and say, hey, I'm doing better. I'm doing good. I, this is moving the right direction. I'm overcoming this. I'm getting stronger and stronger. And at some point, this won't be nearly the problem that it is now. I think if you think of all of this in terms of growing your skill set and strategies, as, as Lee and, and Jed were both talking about, you look at it in terms of growing your spiritual muscles and, and becoming stronger, mm. I think you're going to be in, a, in, in a, a better state of mind. But I think instead of that, you're thinking in terms of this positive and negative status that you're in, a state of positive or negative whatever. And I think that uh, ends up getting you in sort of this binary thought process where it's either a slightly inflated ego or a, a slightly uh, depressive view of yourself. And I think getting out of that uh, and thinking in terms of growing is, is the better place to be. Another really great answer on this. One, one small thing I would tack on the end here, and it's something we've talked about on the show several times, is that one of the great skills you can develop for your own kind of sanity is just letting a thought pass through your brain and not trying to give it significance, not trying to live in it, just especially when you wake up. Your defenses are low. You can give yourself a break on that. If you, you wake up and your first thought is something negative, that's fine. That's that's literally happening without you choosing it. So just letting that thought pass and moving on to something else rather than trying to wrestle and dig through that thought is a really, really good skill to develop. And it's a skill of doing nothing, which is one of the most fun skills to develop as well. So it'll really uh, give you a good jumping off point to apply all the really, really good advice these guys gave you. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says... How should we deal with the phenomenon of scheduling and last-minute canceling? How do we pace ourselves with with social engagements, particularly as we're re-emerging from COVID? How do we know when to push through and keep all our social commitments versus when to show ourselves grace and bow out when it feels like too much? Another great question. And Jed, where would we start off with this? It's a great question. We're really glad that you're you know kind of looking ahead at things, and so. I think where we need to start with this is with some good ideas of what the left and right limits are. Um, yeah. how, how do we know when we've gone too far in one direction or too far in another? So let's do that. So the the first is if you basically always cancel, you know, if, if nine times out of 10, you're like, oh, gosh, sorry, it's not a great day. That's probably too far. Um, nobody's looking down on you. Um, you know, we're saying you're a bad person. But if you basically always cancel things, that's. That's probably too far in that direction. Now, by contrast, if you refuse to ever cancel, no matter what, you know, you're bleeding out of your eyeballs. You say, oh, no, I'll be there. <laughs> uh, that's that's too far, too, in the opposite direction. Uh, so we probably want to land somewhere in between where we give ourselves grace to to cancel, you know, when we need to. Uh, but we we push through when it makes sense. But now. As we're trying to figure out, you know, what makes sense, I think that we need to ask a couple of follow-up questions. The first is, how many of these engagements, these social engagements that you have or that you will have, how many of them are get-tos? In other words, things where it's, this is a privilege to get to do it, and it's a good thing that's a value add in my life. And how many of them are ought-tos? It's a thing that I feel that I am supposed to do because it's the right thing to do. 
you probably don't need more ought tos in your life. Mm. And, um, I, or at the very least, I've met very few people who need more ought tos in their life. Um, if you're shooting yourself, as they talk about in, in recovery circles, if you're scheduling a lot of ought tos, why are you doing that? Why are you filling up your calendar with stuff that basically feels like an obligation? Because I think we may want to look at that before we look at, at the cancellation policy. If if most of your calendar is filled up with things that you kind of don't want to do, well, it makes sense you'd want to cancel them at the last minute. I think we would do better to solve that problem a little higher upstream and figure out what's what's up with all the ought tos. Why am I agreeing to things I don't actually want to do? I mean, everybody's life has some, you know, ought tos in it, but why is your life mostly ought tos? I think we really want to look at that. But then the, the reverse question is also important is if most of the stuff on your calendar are get tos, you know, things that you actually would want to do and that, you know, um, are, are positive things in your life, then what's draining you? What's going on where you get to whatever it is, you know, three hours before the thing, you're like, man, I just don't have what it takes to go do this today. And it just really, I, I just don't want to now. There's no judgment here is not about you being a bad person, but if we've got a dynamic where you find things that you would want to do and you get them on the calendar, which hooray, that's great. That's awesome. But then you find that a few hours before you're just so drained, it's just, you just don't want it anymore. I think we should look at where all that sense of being drained is coming from mm. and try and figure out, can we do anything about that? Can we make some tweaks to the way I'm living where I'm not drained all the time? I'm not you know feeling like I'm basically on empty all the time. To be clear, none of this is about you're a good person, you're a bad person. None of this is about you're a good Christian, you're a bad Christian. It's about trying to figure out how do we navigate a life that actually works for you? And there's going to need to be a fairly unique quality to it because you're a unique human being. Um, I'm certain that right now online there are 10,000 articles about you know how to maximize your fun and your social calendar, but you've got to have a solution that works for you. But again, in order to navigate what that's going to look like, I think we want to focus on get tos rather than ought tos. And then we want to figure out how do I keep energy in reserve so that those get tos can stay get tos. Absolutely right. That is all excellent stuff. I think Jed did a great job laying a solid foundation for this idea on us here. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to to maybe look at the specific thing that's going to happen when we kind of emerge, continue to emerge into a post-COVID world where there might be a lot of people who are uh, come at social uh, gatherings like they're hitting a dinner buffet after they skipped lunch. And we <laughs> yeah. may have to do some adjusting on this, right? Yes, I think so. I, I think uh, we talk a lot of, on the podcast about balance and uh, the idea of, of striking a balance between extremes and that that's not uh, that's that's not comfortable for a lot of people. They feel like uh, a, a life of faith is something where just the harder you go, the more high your score is, or something. You know, that's just you know, it's just a way of thinking of that. But I think let's let's all recognize we are we are not in good shape, so to speak, mm. on social stuff. Uh, we're all it's an unfamiliar thing. Everything. Uh, about living with COVID and, and then including this of coming out from underneath it is tiring in ways that we aren't 
used to and that that will sneak up on us and surprise us. Uh, But in order to deal with that, I think we have to push ourselves a little. That doesn't mean a lot. You know, as as they say in, in the world of golf, if I tell you to take an aspirin, I don't mean take the whole bottle. Uh, I think we need to push ourselves. I think we have to, uh, you know, recognize that uh, we're we're a little bit out of shape, and that means uh, taking things where we are are uh, uh, pushing ourselves to get in uh, in a state of adjustment about all of this stuff. I think that's good and that's appropriate. But here's the other side of that: if we're pushing it a little more, that means we need to look at increasing our rest time and our play time and our fun stuff at the same time Mm. so that we're doing both at once. If you're just pushing yourself and doing less fun stuff, that's just a recipe for a meltdown regardless of the circumstances. Uh, If you're sort of just, you know, just kind of taking it easy and not really pushing yourself in any sort of way, you're not going to get any kind of positive results out of that. And that means sort of the rest and, and the playtime kind of feel self-indulgent and feel as though they're, it's, it's not a reward, it's not a break, it's not a, a changing the channel and processing anything, it's just stagnating. And, you know, certainly we want to get out of that. Uh, so I think we're going to push ourselves a little more, but we're going to rest and play a little more at the exact same time. So again keeping all of that in balance. Uh, but I think it's also important to recognize, uh, particularly when we're talking about spiritual things, that you have a hard limit. There's, there's a point where you're, you are just out of gas. There's a point where you, know, you have nothing more to contribute. And it, uh, certainly that has happened to me. Uh, I, I've been in some meetings and some worship services. I've been in you know, some Christian circumstances of some kind, and I felt the last drop of sanctification leave my body, <laughs> and that's it. You know, and it's it's taken me a lot of years to be uh, perfectly honest. It's taken me a lot of years to to just own that and and say, you know, rather than try and burn my reserves and just uh, you know, just really whittle myself down to nothing, you know, where no one's going to benefit from that. Uh, I've learned to simply get up and say, all right, well, I've had enough. I love y'all, but I'm going, bye. And that's it, you know, Uh, to have that moment of recognizing there is a hard limit. When you're there, you're there. And it's okay to own that. It's okay to uh, make adjustments based on that, uh, to recognize that uh, there's a point where you're making a sacrifice, but the sacrifice is meant to be a benefit to other people. Uh, mm. and it's meant to do something for the kingdom. If you're making that sacrifice, if you're putting a, a big sacrifice out there and it's not really benefiting anything anywhere, including you, of course, then I think that's, that's a time to say, I, I'm not, uh, spending wisely the energy that I have. Uh, I, I need to, to pull up and uh, think about putting some more gas in the tank and being more mindful about where God wants me to spend it. Another great add-on to this. And Lee, where do we close this out? You've already heard excellent stuff on this. That I would just 
um, suggest that we think about this in terms of something that's not hanging out with people, not social stuff. I want to talk about eating for a second. Um, when I was like 19 and 20 years old, um, the only thing that I calculated when I was thinking about what to eat was what do I want to taste? Period. That was it. That was the only thing I thought about. And so that led to uh, breakfast uh, was a Hardy's chicken biscuit every day. And lunch was like a double cheeseburger at Dairy Queen. And dinner was just like, you know, something, <laughs> just something equally just grotesque. And it was just always because I had the metabolism just to do that. Now I'm in my 40s and I'm starting to listen to my body and ask the questions, what feels good? What, what is good fuel? What makes me feel good after I eat it? Um, that there's there are other considerations besides just what greasy thing do I want to shove into my face? And I I suggest thinking about the that concept of eating and learning the, your your you know what makes your body feel good and all that kind of stuff because I think that as we emerge from the season that we've all lived in for the last year, um, reengaging in social um, you know, f- you know, just social relationships and community and all that kind of stuff and the, hanging out in the same places, that's going to be a dance. And I, I love that we started out talking about kind of the left and right limits of that. We're going to be finding out what is healthy, what feels good, and how does that differ from just what I would just naturally want. I mean, I think I would just, you know, some some personalities, they would think, I want to hang out with everybody all the time. Other personalities, there's nothing that sounds as good as canceled plans. <laughs> and so what we want to find is the dance between what my personality naturally wants versus what's healthy and good for me. For the person who feels like there's nothing so sweet as canceled plans, well, yeah. However, it's healthy for you to have people in your life. And so sometimes your natural thing might be, I want to cancel plans with everybody and I want to be alone in my PJs on my couch all the time. Yes, that's what you want. But the healthy thing for you is to sometimes push yourself into engaging with folks. For the person who feels like I want to be with everybody all the time and I have fear of missing out, I, I don't want that FOMO to get going, and so I want to say yes to everything. Yeah, that's what you that's what your personality wants, but it's healthy for you to also have some time by your by yourself. In in a way, we're talking again about the left and right limits, but what we want to find is the dance of the healthy balance of what feels good. Um, in the aftermath, and, and this is where we kind of get into the, just kind of the realm of discernment. And and some of the way that this works is you do something and then you ask yourself the question, how did that work? This is a thing that I think that a lot of Christians are really bad at, which is just kind of the the process of reasoning. Like I experience a thing and then I honestly look on the back end of it how did that work? How do I feel? How do it, like, uh, the, the language that my wife uses is how is my, um, community bucket? Is it that, you know, like you think about your life in like buckets or tanks, am I full? Am I empty? Am I half full? All of those kinds of things. Um, the, uh, 
the the pastor and and hymn writer John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace uh somebody was saying at at the time that he was living oh the worst thing to ever happen to Christianity is the age of reason and he said absolutely not the age of reason is exactly what Christians need we need to reason over the things that we do and the things that we experience. How did that actually play out? How do I feel? What is my engagement with my with the people in my life, with the Spirit of God, all of those things? If we um, seek balance and seek health, and then we look at something after the fact and ask, how do I feel after that? Do I feel good? Do I feel fueled up? Do I? What do I have to learn from that experience? If we are willing to look at ourselves after we experience certain things and and seek after that balance that sometimes pushes our personality and sometimes gives into our personality, I think that, that that's where we're going to start to dance the the dance in a in a healthy and a good way as we emerge from this season that we've been in. That's another great point. I think all these guys really got all over this. One small thing I'll add on the end here is we we talked about actually on the the previous show, we talked about a lot on the show how guilt is a terrible motivator. And that includes any guilt you might put on yourself when you get an invitation because, well, I mean, we couldn't do this at all last year. So I guess I should. That's as, as a lot of Glenn was talking about, that's going to, that's not going to lead to anything good. As all these guys pointed out, there'll be a little bit of a inertia that we're going to have to push through, but you know, getting in touch with yourself and that's part of getting that rest and a lot of that good stuff that Glenn was talking about is, is going to be figuring out what's the difference between I'm I'm not excited about doing this thing just because I haven't done it in a year and I've lost those muscles versus I'm not excited about this because I'm not excited about it and I'm going to wait for the next one to come along. Two very different feelings and a lot of getting this right, which will be a process for all of this is going to be dialing in, which is which, and that is okay. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask if you want to keep that entirely anonymous don't forget you can sign up for bridgebox at missionusa.com slash bridgebox you can check out the bridge live every tuesday at facebook.com slash the bridge chicago or whatever you want over at the videos tab at that facebook page tell you the song this week it got the shout outs we're gonna take it out with uh, p yeah. lawson and jed brewer doing i must tell jesus thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it Coming soon from Say That Motion Picture Studios, <laughs> a story of a man who thought about making a self-indulgent movie and then went on a journey of discovery to see that it's not all about him. It's a magical tale of fantasy and science fiction. I must tell Jesus. Let me tell you about my high priest, son. Jesus, feel it when I'm hurting, son. Jesus, know it when I'm running out, and yeah. Jesus, catch me when I'm falling down, and yeah. He know how this wild, wild world works. He's been up for everything that hurts. He knows why I'm thinking maybe try it out, but he know why I really shouldn't buy it now. So I'm gonna stand straight up and go to him, that's right. I'm gonna tell him what I'm dealing with, that's right. I'm gonna ask my Lord to help me out. Oh yes, it ain't no fear cause he laid it out for me. Oh yes, and Jesus perfect, but he knows I'm not. And so Jesus loved me when I'm weak and lonely. So Jesus always give me strength to stand because he knows how hard it is to be a man. Mr. Meal.
feel for you. You may be my mama, I won't deal for you. Keep it real, always how I fall off. First I shoot myself, then turn my back on all of. I can't get no traction, cause you slick as olive. Only Jesus gonna lead me, so I follow. If you wanna come with me, fine, then you gotta make your mind up. Only a limited time, my friend, I don't have to remind you. Emotion wind up, more of a binder. I wanna help kinda, you know where I stay, so you know how to find them. Any wisdom you can get from God above. Burdens alone.